Hey y'all, KT here. I'm the youth minister at the Winsboro Church of Christ. I just wanted to take a moment and encourage you uh, to actually pause this recording. Um, Take a moment, just stop what you're doing if you can, and I just want you to go before God and ask that He will open up your heart uh, and give you ears to hear this message this week. As Gerald points out at the very beginning, uh, this is not an easy message to hear. Uh, This is one that really hits close to home, especially for us as Christians. Uh, Those of us who have been striving to be a a follower of Christ for a while, uh, sometimes we lose sight of this message. It comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So go ahead. I'll give you a second. Press pause. When you return, Gerald will bring this awesome lesson. Not everything that we read in Scripture is easy to hear. There are some words that are really hard, some passages that are difficult to listen to. Uh, The message that God gave to the prophets for Israel were oftentimes very hard words because, well, the people needed to hear a a hard message. When Nathan went to David and talked to David about his life and gave that parable uh, about the the man who who had slaughtered uh, a neighbor's sheep, That was a hard message to give, and I would imagine also a very hard message to receive, but it was still needed, and so God had his prophet deliver that message. When the prophets uh, talked about the destruction of Jerusalem because of the sin that was there, and all of the pain and the agony and the difficulty that would come, that was a hard message to receive. In fact, the people didn't want to hear it because it was a hard message from God, but it was still needed, and so God had his people give that message. Jesus has some of the hardest words in all of Scripture. It's kind of odd for us to think about that because we usually think of Jesus as the one who came with loving and caring and words of tenderness and kindness. And Jesus speaks of judgment and condemnation more than any other person in all of Scripture. ...of destruction for the disobedient and condemnation and an eternity in hell fire. We enjoy hearing the, love, uh, the words of love and grace, and it's important to hear those words because God does love us. And he doesn't want any of us to die. He doesn't want any of us to to suffer eternal damnation. But it's also important to hear the other side of that coin. And so uh, today I want to flip the coin over. (laughs) And I want us to hear some of the hard words of Jesus against those who live a life in sin. Some really difficult words, some hard words to the unrighteous, to the unrepenting, to those who lived a life rejecting the truths of God and following the evil one. Jesus had some difficult words. And today, that would be those unbelievers who reject the word of truth, who reject that the Lord is the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, beginning of verse 40, Jesus said, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom uh, 
uh, of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawless uh, lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. That place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. To the Jews that were seeking to take the kingdom of God away from Jesus. Uh, and today that might be those that wanted the church, yes, but without the lordship of Jesus, without the direction of God, wanted to go their own way and do their own thing. Jesus has these words. Matthew chapter 21, verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with the, those tenants? He will say to them, or they will say to him, he will put those wretcheds to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus told another parable, this time about a wedding feast uh, with uh, the, uh, the idea that, that he gathers all believers in to be the bride of Christ. And there was one there in the wedding feast that didn't have the right clothes on. That would be the one who tried to be associated with the kingdom of God, but yet was not wearing the righteousness of Jesus, was not bathed uh, uh, wearing the Lord. Jesus has these words in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 11. Well, when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. And then Jesus had words to those that appear righteous on the outside. They seem to be, uh, or they want to be listed with, with the faithful, but... They're not involved in ministry. There's no real acts of righteousness. They're, and that would be emblematic today of people that want a church membership but don't want to do anything, don't really want to be involved in ministry, are just kind of there in faith only. Matthew 25, verse 41, He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink, and I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, and sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment for the righteous to eternal life. Some years later, when the Hebrew writer is writing, he wants to remind us. And he does remind us of, of the access we have to the Father because of the grace of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus. That, that has cleansed us from every unrighteousness, and now we can be in the presence of God. But then he also reminds us if we are unrepentant, if we 
do not heed the words of our Lord that our demise will be terrible. In Hebrews 10, verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Occasionally we need to be reminded that even though our God is a God of love and kindness, and he wants all of us to be saved. He wants all of us to come to know him. There is a standard to follow. We need to follow that standard. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks now. And in that Sermon on the Mount, we have what some might liken to the preamble of Christianity. It's the way that Christians are supposed to live. It talks about our lifestyle, the attitude of our heart. Uh, it, it talks about how to live, how to love and we find many sermons, uh, many, many qualities of the Christian life there. But the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters. There's 257 other chapters in the New Testament uh, that talk about Jesus, that talk about his church, that talk about how to follow Jesus, talk about how to live the Christian life. We need to hear those too. Uh, but the Sermon on the Mount it's about the righteousness that God wants from his people. Righteousness that begins from the inside, changing who we are at our core. Then how that plays out in the way we live. And most of it is very positive, but it's also very exacting. This is how you need to live. And within that sermon, Jesus also has some harsh words, or difficult words. And we've already heard them read this morning how he says there is an expectation in the way you live, in the way you fulfill these teachings of mine. He said that he's going to judge us on how we fulfill these teachings. We'll be judged accordingly. Matthew, uh, so Matthew chapter 7, again, the words... Uh, that Alan read for us a moment ago, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And then a little later on, down in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So there's two groups within these two passages that are not going to make it to heaven. The first group is those that choose not to follow Jesus. They have the broad path there, the way of the world, the way of fun, the way of, uh, of earthly enjoyment. They're not seeking God. They're not seeking the narrow path, the path of righteousness, Jesus. They're on, they're on the highway and they're enjoying life. They chose the wide and easy path. 
The second group is those that proclaim a faith, but they're not very, they're not obedient. They're omitting the the will of God. They're uh, omitting the, the things that God wants his people to do. While they may have named him as Lord, they're not living the lifestyle. They are disciples in word, but not in deed. It's very important that we know the will of the Father. And it's very important that we do the will of the Father. I don't believe anyone within the building this morning would fit into the, or very few, if any at all, would fit into the first category. We're all looking for the narrow path. We're looking to follow God. We're, we're not on the highway to hell this morning. We're seeking the narrow path. But I'm afraid some of us might fit into the second group. We've said, yes, we want to be a disciple, but we still lack obedience. We're not doing all that God wants us to do. In fact, maybe some of us aren't doing very much at all. Some of us are still lacking that initial step. We believe we're here, but we're hesitating for whatever reason. We've not started our real obedience yet. Something is holding us back. Some of us may lack obedience because we're harboring some vice, something that we're unwilling to give up, whatever it may be. But we know that, well, if I really get committed to Christ, I've got to quit doing this. And we're not ready to quit. So we're really not obedient to God because we're holding on to an aspect of the world. Some vice, some practice, some... It it might not even be a bad thing. It just is bad because it keeps us from really following God. Some of us may not be obeying the Lord yet because we're unwilling to pay the price of discipleship. You know, grace is free. We don't have to pay for that. God gives us of his love, his grace. He saves us. But then he expects some of us, uh, well, he expects all of us. He expects something from us. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we don't want the heavy cross. (laughs) We don't want to pay the price of discipleship. We, we, we were glad, yeah, give me that free salvation, but, uh, but I don't want to pay for discipleship. So there's no ministry, there's no doing good, there's no acts of devotion. Here's a message for us this morning. Do not stand back in disobedience. And then because of disobedience on judgment day, Hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Don't don't let that happen. There may be all kinds of reasons why we don't obey, why we don't live in obedience. One of them might be because we're just not interested in heaven. 
And you know, in the United States, that's a real problem because we enjoy so many wonderful things in this nation. We have need of nothing. We, we talk about our needs, but really, really we're talking about way down, we're talking about what things we want, not things that we need. We enjoy such a wonderful life here, and so heaven doesn't seem to be that, well, great, not much better than what we already have. We are too comfortable. Maybe if life was a little harder, we might seek God a little more diligently, seek obedience with a, a little more care, a little more interest. Well, we're so wrapped up in our video games or our Apple TV or uh, uh, whatever it might be that we just don't have time for God. We have our jobs and our hobbies, uh, and we just can't devote much more time to God because we're spending it in all these other places. We're so wrapped up in building our own nests for our own eggs that we don't have time to help anybody else build a nest for God. So earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has said, again, some harsh words. Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Can't serve the world and God. We got to choose. We have to also understand that if we choose the world, then we've excluded God. And on judgment day, we'll hear, depart from me. I never knew you because you chose the world. Paul wrote to Timothy, the young preacher who was working in Ephesus and told Ephesus that there was an issue there, a problem there that really around the world where people got so involved with the world that if you didn't have words that tickled their ears, they wouldn't pay. 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will... Uh, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths I'm afraid well there's never been an age when this wasn't true but it's true today we don't really want to live in obedience we want to just be tickled and and have a, such a soft gospel that we don't feel uncomfortable living in disobedience we need to feel a little uncomfortable when we're not obeying God. In this carnal-minded society, Jesus doesn't offer what the carnal mind wants. Truth is, our secular and carnal-minded mind society doesn't really have good answers for life. Now, we're in believing that they do, but they don't. Suicide rates today are 200% higher than they were just a few, hundred, a few years ago. Why? Because this secular-minded society doesn't have good answers. They delude us into thinking they're good, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Drug abuse came, claims the life of thousands that are not listed in that suicide rate. 
just this last week, uh, a rapper, 21 years old, Juice World, overdosed. Now, his life is not listed as a suicide. It's listed as an accidental overdose. But looking for ways to succeed in the world, looking for the answers of the world and pleasure, and, and now he's dead. That's the way of the world. That's the way of those that are not seeking God, not walking down the narrow way, not choosing to obey God because they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. Some will miss heaven because they've got too much pride. You know, pride, it is a destroyer. Is that a good word? It destroys us. Destroyer. Get enough R's and enough E's in that. Jesus named pride as one of the major maladies of the heart that defile the person. They were asking him, well, what defiles a person? And he says, well, it's, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles us. Mark chapter 7, verse 20, but he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. We can see easily how the the slander, the wickedness, the immorality, how that that would defile a person, but pride? Don't we try to encourage self-esteem and a person to have pride in himself? And almost anything, pride being a principal one, can be taken too far and misapplied. There are those who will never obey God because their personal pride will not permit them to admit sin. They cannot say, I've done wrong. They can't say, I was wrong. They can't say, I did bad things. Then there are others that have this personal pride and they don't want others to think of them as being too religious. They say, well, if I come out as a strong advocate for the Lord, if I'm involved in church, my coworkers will say, well, he's gone nuts. He's too religious. What's he going to do next? Start going on Wednesday night? Yeah. <laughs> Religious people are viewed by the secular world as, as extremists, as odd, as crazy, as foolish. And our personal pride, we want to gain their favor. And so we stay at arm's length from God and we don't obey because we don't want to be classed as some religious nut that actually believes that the Bible is the Word of God. There are those that can't admit their mistakes or their bad decisions, that the things that they're done are sinful. Of course, everybody knows that everybody has. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. We just don't want to say it. Somehow we think that if I never say it, it's not true. <laughs> That's a delusion from Satan, by the way. 
And we know that. But somehow or another, pride keeps us from admitting it. There are those that are just so self-conscious that they cannot make a public commitment. So self-conscious that they just can't... They, we, want to, we want to deeply, but there's some fear, or there's some embarrassment, or whatever it is, we just can't make ourselves step out and commit to being a disciple. Fear of public attention, fear of, I don't know. But here's the message. Do not let pride keeping keep you from making a commitment to God. Don't let pride send you to hell. Don't let fear of what others think of you keep you out of heaven. Don't let embarrassment cost you your soul. Some are going to miss heaven. Because they believe it's foolishness. They bought into the secular lies that this world is all there is. There isn't anything else. And this message about Christ, this message about heaven, this message of God is just foolishness. We may want to believe. But we're afraid that if we, if we do well, those of our contemporaries, our peers, will, will think that we're foolish. And we don't want to be foolish. We don't want to be caught believing in myths or foolish beliefs. And there are a lot in this world that see Christianity that way. It's just myths. It's foolish beliefs. They've made science their god. Or that's what they're called saying. They don't want to believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in the God of creation and judgment. You think that? Well, that's a foolish thing. And so secular intellectual humanism, we put all those words together, is so self-centered that, that it's almost made itself its own God. They believe that they have in themselves all the answers, all the intellect that they'll need, and they have started worshiping themselves, their own intellect. Truth is, for how many decades now has this been, or centuries has this been around, and, and the world isn't any better than it was before. There's just as many wars as there were before, just as much heartache as there was before, just as much difficulty as there was before. Some might ask the question, can a person be intellectual and a Christian also? And the answer to that is yes. Truth is, surveys have been done and there are more scientists who are firm believers in God than there are businessmen. Because the businessman makes, uh, his problem, he doesn't make his intellect his God, he makes his money his God. And money is generally worshipped more than intellect is. There are a lot of righteous people who serve God, who are also very intellectual, very knowledgeable people. 
some who are intellectual have difficulty with the message of the gospel, however, because it's about a God who gave of himself and died on the cross. And some see that as a foolish message. It's hard for someone with a Muslim background to believe in a Savior who would die on the cross because, well, God's that all-powerful, stern, uh, exactly. He punishes people, but he doesn't die himself for us. Or for the Hindu, that's a hard message to believe. But it is God's message because that's how much he loved us, or still does. That's how much he loves us. He wants us to be part of him. And so he gave of his own self so that we might have life everlastingly. He doesn't want any of us to die in sin. He doesn't want any of us to lose the opportunity of heaven. Paul would say, what the world sees as foolishness is God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? God Has not God made the foolish of the wisdom of the world? uh, Foolish, the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is is in our own merit. The wisdom of God is in the merit of Christ and our being in Him. See, the Lord does not want any of us to be condemned. He didn't come to the earth to condemn us but to save us. He would say, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He went to the cross not to condemn anybody, but to save everyone. Jesus came that we might be saved. God doesn't want to condemn us. He wants everyone to repent and come to Come to repentance and come to discipleship and follow Him. In almost every one of the passages that talk about judgment and condemnation for the disbeliever, for the the disobedient, there is also the message of hope. For the one who would follow Jesus, there is the promise of salvation. There's the promise of heaven, of forgiveness of sin, of being with God forever and ever. It's really our choice to believe, to obey, to have life. Or disbelieve, disobey, and not have life, not have heaven. It's our choice to believe, repent, and to obey or not. Jesus was talking with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was curious about following Jesus, about being a disciple of Jesus, about the kingdom of God. And Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here's a question for all of us. Have you been born of the water and the Spirit? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? Or do you still live in disobedience? Or do you still live not yet having obeyed? Here's an easy to understand truth. 
if we're still living, not yet having obeyed, we are still disobedient. If we haven't obeyed yet, then we're disobedient. Don't sit on the sideline waiting for something else. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to obey. Years ago when I was a kid, I'd been thinking a long time about being baptized. I was younger than most people were when they made the commitment to be a disciple, but I made up my mind I was going to be baptized. And so that Sunday morning, I, I'd, I'd made up my mind I was going to do it. And my older brother responded that same morning before I did and I backed back up because I couldn't do it I was thinking to myself if I do it today everybody will think I'm doing it just because my brother did it was several months later before I was able to do that I bring that up because Satan was, he was keeping me disobedient because of pride. What are people going to think about me? People will think that it wasn't my decision. And so I didn't. That was my decision not to. Some of you this morning have not made a formal commitment to the Lord. I know you believe you're here. But for whatever reason, you remain disobedient because the absence of obedience, even though we may not think of it that way, the absence of obedience is disobedience. If I've not obeyed, then I'm still disobedient. Jesus is the one who saves, but he wants us to step out in faith and repentance and obedience. So if you're here this morning and, and there is an absence of obedience, it's time for you to step up and be counted as a believer in Christ. Let's be standing. In just a moment, we'll sing a song. And while we're singing that song, if you want to become a follower of the Lord, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you can do that this morning. Somebody's even turned the light on. We're ready for you. The water's warm. There's clothes. If you want prayer and being a more faithful disciple and being more obedient in all of the various ways that he wants us to obey the Lord, talk to us about that. We'll pray with you. We'll help you in any way we can. If you'd like to pray with one of our shepherds in the foyer or some one of us here at the front, just just let us know. That way, a little more private this way, a little more public, but whatever we can do to help you. We want you to be part of the kingdom of God, entering by that narrow gate whose end is heaven. Now the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and the Lord lift you up 
or lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to prevent you or present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed it, be sure to check out more either on our website or wherever you get podcasts. As always, we are available 24-7 through our website at winsboro.church.